All right, all right. Hey, welcome to another weekend of services here at Rockbridge Community Church. My name is Matt. I want to welcome you physically if you're at one of our six locations in northwest Georgia and the Tennessee Valley, but also want to welcome you if you're watching online or on demand. We are glad that you're with us. However you are with us, it's our privilege and our honor uh, for you to be here. Thank you so much. And I know that we're praying for everybody. You're not here by accident. You're not listening by accident. You're not watching by accident. You're here for a reason. And uh, we've been jumping in to the book of Revelation, <clears throat> where there's seven letters to seven churches that existed in the first century in Revelation chapter 2, chapter 3. And uh, we're just sort of learning from that and gathering from that. What we said last week is this, uncertain times require a certain church or a confident church. And we talked through uh, the God's letter to the church at Ephesus. Today, we're going to switch and talk about to about another church. It's called the church at Smyrna. All of this is in kind of modern-day Turkey. And to set up the message of the church or message to the church at Smyrna, I want to begin with a question that a lot of us ask. Most of us ask this when we wake up every morning. When someone asks you at the end of the day, how was your day, you're going to answer based on this question. And the question is simply this, will I get what I want? You know, will life kind of go my way today? And then if there is a God, or how will God, and how will God help? And a lot of us, when our, we talk about our relationship with God, it's how is God helping me or not answer this question? And we approach God just from our own kind of needs and problems and hopes and dreams and issues and situations and circumstances. And so will life go my way today? And, and then if there is a God, how will God help? And if God will help, how do I unlock the combination to get him help, to get him to help? And it sort of depends on where you are spiritually to how you might think about that. And, and what I just want to say to this church is, dear church, remember church is people. You either are the church or you could be part of the church. What I just want to say is, listen, these questions will fail you and frustrate you. Even though you learn, you know, we've learned at an early age, look out for number one, right? And is life going to go my way? And is God going to help me? And all that kind of stuff. Those questions will eventually fail you and frustrate you, and they could take away your faith. And God, for his people, the church, has a better way to live. God offers us something that transcends, hey, how was your day today? God offers us something bigger and better and, and, and more enduring than the current news cycle. Your personal news cycle or the news cycle in your city, your community, or in our country or in our world. God offers something better. God offers something that, hey, did I get what I want? It can't even touch. And so God writes a letter to a, a specific group of people in a specific town, and he's going to show us this better way. So we'll join in with the Word of God, and we'll travel through his message to the Word at Smyrna. Now, every letter, every one of these seven letters begins with a description of who it's written to, and then it starts with Jesus. And it always presents a different aspect, different attributes, different descriptions of who Jesus is. So here we go. It says, write to the letter of the church in Smyrna. So we have a church, and it is a physical location, and the church is going to influence that location. Thus says the first and the last. That's the description of Jesus. Some Bible translations, yours might, for example, might say the Alpha and the Omega. So what we have in view here is that Jesus Christ is eternal. 
Now, when we know Jesus in the Gospels, we see him born at Christmas. We see him crucified on Good Friday, rise again on Easter, and then 40 days later, he ascends into heaven. But this description is there's always been Jesus. He's first. He's last. He's Alpha Omega. He's eternal. He's everlasting. There will never be a day when he's not over your day. There's not a yesterday he wasn't a part of. He knows your tomorrows, and he's with you today. He's infinite, he's above, he's beyond time. I'll use another phrase for him. He's inexhaustible. He never wears out. You know, I need sleep. I need so many hours of sleep in a 24 cycle, right? There, there's, a, there's a timeline, there's a, there's a finite timeline to our lives and our life expectancy. We can only go so far and give so much. And yet Jesus is presented as eternal, everlasting, inexhaustible. And also, he's presented historically. So he's presented eternally, but historically, because it says he's the one who was dead because God became a man, Jesus, and he died on a cross and he came to life. And so he came back to life in the resurrection from the dead. And so we have eternal Jesus who overcame our, one of our biggest problems is death. And he died in our place. He lived our life and he offers that to you and to I. Now, what Revelation shows us in, Revel, in, in, in chapters 2 and 3 is a unique way to approach problems. Your typical approach and my typical approach, if you believe in God, is you take your problems to God and say, God, here's what I want. Remember that question, will I, will I get what I want? You take your problems to God and you say, God, will you do something about this? God, will you help me get through this? God, here's my situation, here's my deal, here's my circumstance. I want you to do something about it. That's our typical approach. In Revelation, we get a different approach. In Revelation, the approach is, hey, why don't you take your God, why don't you take Jesus to your problem? And it's a, it's a different paradigm. So typically, we focus in and dwell in our problems. But in Revelation, we say, no, focus on Christ and show Christ to your problems. And what's interesting about these letters to these seven churches is the description of Christ always matches the problem they're facing. And so, you know, we want to go to, go, go to God and say, hey, God, solve my problem. And God says, no, I want you to show Christ in his fullness, in, his, in his, all his amazing attributes. You show Christ to your problems. See, some of us, you know, we've gotten mad at God. And we've taken our problems to God, and he didn't know, he, we didn't know, he didn't do anything about them. At least we didn't think he did. And, and we don't have a description of God that matches what we face in everyday life. I mean, some of us, you know, we just know God is like Savior and Forgiver or God is life insurance. So when we face a problem, we don't know how God applies to that problem. We don't know how God meets that problem. We don't know how to show God to that problem in order to overcome that problem. But Revelation says, hey, look, we're, there's a new way of working here. We're going to take the inexhaustible, historical, eternal, first, last, alpha, omega, victorious Jesus, and we're going to put him up next to our problems and see what's happened and see what happens. So here's the description we get of Jesus just in the first verse here of, two, of, of Revelation 2.8. He's eternal. He's inexhaustible. He's historical. He entered history. He walked as a person. He was tempted as a person. He lived uh, in human flesh. He died a human death. And supernaturally, victoriously, he rose again from the dead to offer us victory, to offer us something. All right? So we're going to take Christ and show him to our problems. Now, what's going on at Smyrna? Here it is. 
I know your affliction and your poverty. So Smyrna is a suffering church. I know life is not going the way you want it to. I know. I know your circumstances aren't great. I know your situation is not what you dreamed of when you were a baby or a child. I, I know, you know, if, if he were talking to us, he's like, I know when you dreamed about what you wanted to be when you grew up, you didn't think you'd be facing this. You didn't think you'd be dealing with this. So Jesus knows. And he says, I know your affliction. I know your poverty. But, he says, you are rich. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it? Affliction, poverty, how are they rich? Now, remember how we just described Jesus? We just described Jesus as what? Eternal, inexhaustible, a fountain, a stream, a source that never runs dry. And he says, so you're rich. So that's pointing us back to verse 8 and the sufficiency of Jesus. So we're going to show Jesus, we're going to show who he is to this problem of affliction and poverty. And when we see this word spoken to poor believers or poor Christians or to people in difficult situations, this word rich, that points us to something God has done for us. So we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, because he's eternal and he's inexhaustible and he's always been on the throne in heaven and he's always been worshipped and he's always been praised and he's always, he's always had everything. He's been all sufficient and he's inexhaustible and he's victorious. So though he was rich, what did he do for you and I? But for your sake, he became poor. He took on human flesh. He experienced poverty and affliction. He died the death you and I deserve to die so that by his poverty... You might become rich. How many people here today, listening today, would say, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. If I have Christ, I'm rich. I'm wealthy. I'm, I've got what I need. Remember, we're going to show Christ to our problem. And in the riches of Christ and who we are in Christ... That big, massive problem, I'm not getting what I want today, just goes away because we're rich in Him. And so what we're alluding to in all of this, with this death and resurrection and rich Jesus who became poor Jesus, so poor us could become rich in Him, that's oftentimes called the great exchange of the gospel, or the great exchange of the good news. See, here's the good news. Only God that's ever, that ever has been talked about that traded places with you and I. The only God who would make himself poor so we could become rich. The only God who would take on our weakness so we could receive his fullness. There's this exchange that God will take our sin. God will take our death. God will take our penalty. And what will God do? He'll give us His grace. He'll give us His mercy. He'll give us His righteousness. He'll give us His acceptance. So He's rejected so we can be accepted. He dies so we can live. He pays the debt so we can be set free. It's the great exchange of the gospel. And so you see how we're empty without Christ. How if we don't have Christ when affliction and poverty hits, when our day doesn't go the way we want, we're literally empty and we're lost and we're confused and we wonder if that's it, if that's all. But when we have Christ... We have everything. So here's the great exchange. Sin is us substituting ourselves for God. 
Hey, I want to do it my way. I want to have the steering wheel of my life. I want to go my direction, do my deal, have my will be done. I want to get what I want. Salvation, though, is God substituting himself for us, saying, hey, I'll take their place. I know they deserve hell. I know they deserve death. But Jesus says, I'll, I'll, I'll sub myself in. I'll take them. And I'll take everything. See, we assert ourselves against God. And we put ourselves where only God deserves to be, which is on the throne of your heart and on the throne of my heart. What does God do? God sacrifices himself for us and puts himself where only we deserve to be. We deserve to be on that cross. We deserve to be dying that death. But this is the great exchange, how poor us became rich us in Christ. We claim prerogatives which belong to God alone. We want to be recognized. We want to be exalted. We want to be praised. We want to get the benefits and the glory of life, right? But God accepts penalties which belong to us alone. That is the great exchange and how poor us become rich us in Christ. And so when God is talking to the church at Smyrna, he goes, don't you forget. No matter what you're going through today, you're rich eternally when you have me. How many people know that message? See, if, if you're a Christ follower today, this is not about just missing hell by the skin of your teeth. This is about experiencing richness by the grace of God. And the great exchange of the gospel brings the greatest gift of the gospel. The greatest gift of the gospel. What is the greatest gift of the gospel? Is it that we get to go to heaven? Is it that we experience forgiveness and grace and mercy? Is it, hey, I don't get what I deserve? The greatest gift of the gospel is understanding what Jesus means when he tells this poor, afflicted church that though you're poor, you're rich. The greatest gift of the gospel is what God might say to you when you're saying, God, remove my problem. And he looks at you and says, no, you need to understand how rich you are. You need to understand what the greatest gift of the gospel is. Because the greatest gift of the gospel is not a problem-free world. It's not a trouble-free life. The greatest gift of the gospel is this. Colossians 1.27, God has chosen to make known the glorious riches, there's our word, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the greatest gift of the gospel? God himself. This inexhaustible God, this eternal God, this victorious God, we get this God in our very lives forever. And so is there any wonder that Jesus looks at this poor church in love and reminds them of what they have, reminds them of who they are. And so this poor afflicted church, Jesus says, you're rich, you're okay, everything's fine because of what you have in me. And I just want to ask us all to take, have a little gut check, soul check question. How valuable and worthy is Jesus to you right now? I, I know y'all walked in here turned on your device, came to your campus, whatever. You walked in here and you're carrying stuff, you're dealing with stuff, you're thinking about stuff. I get that. You've got problems, you've got dynamics, you're mad about the news, you're confused by the world. But when you present this Jesus to your problems, do you realize how rich you are? Or, if you're not a Christ follower, how rich you could be if you had Christ, if he had you, and if you gave him the steering wheel of your life. This, this, is, this is the secret of the joy of Christianity. 
This is the secret of the peace that passes understanding. This is why Christians have a hope that's untouchable. It's shareable, but it's untouchable. It can't be touched by COVID-19. It can't be touched by a recession. It can't be touched by affliction or poverty. Because it comes from, and it is very God himself, inexhaustible, eternal, victorious, historical, personal in us. Is that the Jesus you know? Is that the Jesus you follow? Or is that the Jesus you're interested in, which is why God didn't make a mistake when he brought you here today? Because you don't need a God who just is a forgiver. You don't need a God who's just a 911 phone call. You don't need a God who's just like, you know, a humanitarian and helps you over here a little bit and helps you over there a little bit. You need a God who's inexhaustible, eternal. You need a God who will give you riches and never run dry. You and I need a God that we can say, God, you're bigger than my problems. And in you, I'm rich no matter what happens in the world today. If I don't get what I want today, that's okay because I have all I want in you. You've made me rich. That's the beautiful message that we have inside of us as Christ followers, as the church or people who could be the church. And that's the beautiful message we offer to the world. But if you don't have Christ, you, you hit poverty, you hit affliction, you hit challenges, you hit adversity. And then you're wondering, is there a God? Does God care? And until you see what God did and the great exchange God's willing to make, that though he himself was rich, he'll become poor so you and I can become rich in him. Until you see that, until that hits your heart, you're hopeless, you're helpless, you're defeated, and you're in despair. There's a better way to live. And that's why this letter, dear church, is so important and so powerful for us today. Now, Jesus continues his conversation, and and it gets to leave it a little bit more challenging or more glorious, depending on how you look at it. Here's what he says. He goes, I know your affliction and your poverty, but you're rich. He says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So what was happening in this time period, Christianity was moving out from underneath uh, the, the, its, its association with Juda, Juda, Ju, Judaism and Jews of the first century. And, and, it, and it was seen sort of as a subset of Ju, Judaism. And now it's coming to become its own standalone faith, its own standalone religion. So Jews and the Romans were persecuting the, the church at Smyrna. And so they're getting slandered. But he says, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't be anxious of what you are about to suffer. Now, now here's my question. I'm reading this, you know, in preparation for talking to us today, this weekend. And, and I'm like, do we have a view of God that's okay with a God who sometimes chooses not to do anything about our suffering. Because that's a challenging statement. He tells them, you're about to suffer. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. You're going to end this day, and this day is not going to go the way you would have planned if if you were inscripted it for yourself. Are you okay with me doing that? Are you okay with that kind of God? Now, either God is is playing devilish tricks, which some of you may say, I don't like a God who does that. So either he's doing that, 
Or either this God that we're talking about is so supremely sufficient and so eternally satisfying that it does not matter what his people go through and what his people deal with on earth, they are still rich if they have him. What's your view of God today? I know the headlines, I know the challenges. I, I know how people have suffered and are suffered, ring. But is your view and your understanding of the richness of Christ and the riches he gives to us enough to overcome, survive, and sustain us through seasons of suffering? Because, say, hey, listen, listen, listen. All of us want the grace of what I'll call relief. I'll just make it go away. Hey, the problem you thought you had, it's not as big a deal as you thought it was. And so Smyrna, you know, would be like us. Hey, give us the grace of relief. And God doesn't give them the grace of relief. He gives them the grace of remembering their richness. The grace of remembering their richness. So when God doesn't give the grace of relief, it's not a time to question God, doubt God. It's a time to go deep into God and understanding how rich you are or rich you can be when you follow this inexhaustible eternal God who died in your place to give you his riches. Powerful stuff, right? Would change the way you walk out of the door or close your device to walk out of your living room. Would change your perspective to walk out and say, hey, I'm rich. I don't deserve to be. But God has made me rich in him. He's inexhaustible. He's eternal. Everything I'm dealing with out here is finite, is limited, and it can't touch who I am and what I have under the lordship of King Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and last, the one who died and came back to life. Now he unpacks these problems even more and he goes a little bit further. It doesn't get better circumstantially for the church at Smyrna. But if they know they're rich, they'll be fine. So here's what he says. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison to test you. So Jesus, he's Alpha Omega. He's eternal. He's over the devil. But he allows the devil some leeway, gives him some rope, gives him some freedom. He says, they're going to test you. And what are they testing? Do you really see that you're rich in Christ? Do you really believe Christ is all supreme, all satisfying? Do you believe Christ is the greatest prize, the greatest treasure? See, sometimes tests prove to us, hey, my faith in Christ was not real. I really valued the blessings of God more than the gift of God himself. But what God wants to happen in a test, what God wants to happen in a trial is for us to rest on the riches of who Jesus is, who Jesus is for us, what he offers us, what he gives us, what he did for us, what he promises us. So he says, he's going to throw them in prison to test you and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Some people believe they were, these, these Christians were going to be thrown in with the gladiators and there was like a 10-day period they would be in prison. And then they would be killed at the hands of the gladiators because the Romans did that to Christ's followers. Other people believe this is just a, a symbol, a figurative saying of, hey, is, your suffering is going to last a little bit. But remember Jesus, is he finite? 
Is Jesus 10 days old, 10 days long? No, Jesus is Alpha, Omega, first and last. He's eternal. He's infinite. He's inexhaustible. So it contra contrasts temporary suffering with eternal joy, eternal reward, eternal happiness. So he says, be faithful to the point of death. See, all of us have a point, a line, where we'll just stop our faithfulness. I'm going to stop my faithfulness to God, my obedience to God, my treasuring of God. I'm going to stop it at the line of sex. I'm going to stop it at the line of, it's my money, God. You can't touch that. I'm going to stop it after church is over. We all have this line of, hey, I'm good with God. I'm good with God. I'm with God. I'm okay with God. But as soon as I step over here, as soon as I get into this season, in this area, I'm no longer faithful. And Jesus says, hey, erase all lines because you're that rich. So be faithful to the point of death. And he goes, I will give you now the crown of life. And anything an inexhaustible, eternal God gives is what? In itself, it's eternal, inexhaustible. So they're going to take stuff from you for 10 days, but you're going to have the crown of life forever days, right? So it's contrasting what the world takes from us and what Jesus gives to us. And so what we need to know as we read this, and you look inside my heart, your heart, and if, if I ask 10 out of 10 people in the room, here's where this is what would be true. In every heart, there's a pursuit of reward. Every heart in here, you want a reward. You're, you go to work to get a paycheck, right? You get married for a reward. And it's okay. We need to regain an understanding of reward. God is a rewarding God. So everybody here is after some kind of reward. Maybe it's your happiness. Maybe it's job. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. But there's also a three-front, and we'll look at all three of those fronts, battle for reward. There's a battle. Do you believe the riches of the reward of Christ is more sufficient, superior, and satisfying than the riches of the world? Do you believe the forever riches of Jesus is better than the ten days of adversity in the world? So, so the first battlefront is, okay, which riches? And, and, and the comparison is the, the no's we get in life when life does not go our way. No, you're not going to get relief. No, you're not going to get out of this mess. No, you're, you're, yeah, you're going to have to go through this versus God's eternal yes that makes us rich in Him. So if you look at the church at Smyrna, look at the church at Smyrna. Here's all the no's they got. No, you're not going to be materialistically comfortable. You're, po you're poor. No, you're not going to get the approval of others. In fact, you're going to be slandered. No, you're not going to get your rights. You're not going to get justice. You're going to get thrown in jail and killed. No, you're not going to get a convenient life. It's, going to, it's not going to be hassle-free. And no, you do not have physical safety. Now, if you got that many no's, most of us are in a crisis of faith or a crisis of existence, or a crisis of happiness, or a crisis of who am I, why am I here, what's my purpose, who is God, I'm not even sure there is a God, and if there is one, I don't like him. Until you see who Christ is and how God has said yes to you and made you Christ rich. Christ rich. And what Jesus is saying is that what we have here overcomes what we don't get over here. Because Jesus he said, you're going to keep suffering. But what you have in Christ, sufficient, superior, and all satisfying. The, 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 other, the other battlefront, the second battlefront is the battlefront of timing. 
Because we want God to do something about this stuff now, right? We want God to fix the world now, or at least our world now. But the timing is this. The win, the crown of life of God's win is worth the wait, is worth it. A lot of us, we lose God because we don't, you know, we're, we're keeping time on a clock and we're not even sure what time piece God's using, right? So God says, look, through Jesus, hey, 10 days, whatever that means, literal 10 days, or just a finite fixed period of time, the 10 days of suffering, the 10 days of life not going the way you want, will pale in comparison with the eternal victory and the eternal riches that you have in Christ. Timing. And then the third front of this battle for reward is this. It always concludes with some kind of promise. So he says, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to all the churches. The one who conquers, the one who's victorious, will never be harmed by the second death. He's just told the church at Smyrna, some of you are going to die. You're going to be locked up and you, will be, and you need to be faithful to the point of death. But he said, you don't have to worry about the second death. What's the second death? Everybody dies physically unless Christ comes back before that time occurs. He says, you do not have to die spiritually and be separated from this rich God forever. You don't have to die spiritually. You don't have to experience the second death. And so the third front of this battle for reward is, this, is, is understanding some theology or belief that the worst that could happen can't happen. Hear me say that one more time. The worst thing that can happen, which would be to miss the eternal riches of Christ, cannot happen. If Christ has the steering wheel of your life and if you're resting in his riches and remembering those riches. So, so look, go back to the list for the church at Smyrna. He says, look, the worst thing that can happen to you is not physical life being taken from you. The worst thing that can happen to you is not that you don't get a lot of likes on the last social media post. The worst thing that can happen to you is not that your life is suddenly inconvenienced by what's going on around you. The worst thing that can happen to you is to miss the riches of Christ. The worst thing that can happen to you is to miss Christ and to face eternity without Christ. And he said, if you've given Jesus the steering wheel of your life, if you've seen him as your treasure, if you've seen him as your first, your last, your life, if you've made that great exchange, it can't happen to you. The worst thing that can happen to you is not that life gives you a no, it's that God has given you an eternal yes and made you eternally rich in Christ. And so when you see those three battlefronts, it takes us to this question that I alluded to. Where am I drawing a line when I need to be showing faith? Where, where am I saying, Jesus, you can't, you're not going to have this area of my life, or you're walled off from this area. And Jesus, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm good with following you materially, but Jesus, I got to do some things just to fit in with the crowd. So I'm going to draw a line there. We all draw lines. When we see the riches of God in Christ, and we see who Christ is, what he offers us, his glory, his beauty, his eternity, his inexhaustible riches, and how we're rich in him, when we see that, suddenly we're like, there's no line anymore. Or, yes, Jesus, you can have that. Yes, Jesus, I'll surrender that. Yes, I'll yield that. Yes, I'm willing to give that up. See, here's all Satan wants to do. Here's all Satan wants to do. He wants to show you how if you just say no to Christ, 
He'll provide all these yeses. That's what he did to Adam and Eve, right? Just say no to God and you can have that tasty, good-looking fruit over there. Yeah, baby. But what, we're, what our message of Christianity is, is not no, 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 no. It's the one big, inexhaustible yes of Christ. So don't draw a line. And, and you see what faith is? Here's a, I just wrote this definition of faith out. It's sticking with all of who we know Jesus to be. And obeying all we know of what he taught, regardless of the circumstances or consequences, because the riches of Christ are greater than the cost of following him forever. That's the Jesus we sing about. That's the Jesus I'm preaching about. That's the one who says, yeah, I want the steering wheel of your life. That's the one who says, I'll take your sins. That's the one who promises us pleasures at his right hand forevermore. So see, in Christ, look, we are so rich, the world can't compete. The world can't rob us. The world can't steal it. The world can't touch it, can't take it. In Christ, we are so rich, the world can't compete. In Christ, we are so rich that heaven would not be heaven if Jesus weren't there. See, don't make heaven out to be your best day on earth when you got everything you wanted. If you got everything you wanted, but you didn't get Christ, you'd have lost everything. So in Christ, we're so rich, heaven wouldn't be heaven without Him there. And, and, and the beautiful thing about this is I speak to my rich brothers and sisters in Christ. Is look, when we live, dear church, when we live rich in Him by faith, we show his worth and value to others in hope that they too will become rich in him. The world needs to see the riches of Christ. More than the world needs relief, more than the world needs this or that, the world needs to see the riches in Christ. And so we walk around joyful in affliction, hopeful in adversity, persevering in tough times, because what we have in Christ is so glorious, so supreme, so satisfying. That the world looks at us and says, I want what you have. And we say, it's not what we have. It's who we have. Be rich, church. Be rich. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just, I just want to collectively say thank you. Because you who were rich became poor so that we might become rich forever. God, may we see that richness is because of you and who you are and your presence with us. And God, right now, I just pray for everybody here today. That their view of you, their vision of you, their understanding of you has grown and expanded. And because that vision and, and understanding of you has grown, God, make us more worshipful, make us more obedient, make us more reckless and bold in doing costly things for you and for your cause in this world today. God, we look at the world around us and it seems to be crazy and confused, hopeless and helpless. God, the world needs you. And you've asked us to share you, your worth, your value, your treasures, your riches. May we do that faithfully. May we do that boldly. May, may we do that consistently. 
And God, if there's anybody here listening today, and today is the day they make the great exchange. Today is the day they realize how you became poor so they could become rich in you. I pray, God, in their heart right now, they're just saying yes to you, Jesus, the first and the last, the one who died and came back to life to make us rich forever with you. And it's in your name we pray, King Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.